Chapter Two of Life in the Grey Nunnery at Montreal. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Life in the Grey Nunnery at Montreal by Sarah J. Richardson. Chapter Two The White Nunnery. On my arrival at the nunnery, I was placed under the care of a lady whom they called a superior. She took me into a room alone, and told me that the priest would come to me in the morning to hear confession, and I must confess to him all my sins. What are sins? I asked, and how shall I confess? I don't know what it means. Don't know what sins are? she exclaimed in great astonishment. Why, child, I am surprised that you should be so ignorant. Where have you lived all your days? With all the simplicity of childhood, I replied, with my father, and once I lived with my grandfather. But they didn't tell me how to confess. Well, said she, you must tell the priest all your wicked thoughts words and actions what is wicked i innocently asked if you have ever told an untruth she replied or taken what did not belong to you or been in any way naughty disobedient or unkind if you have been angry or quarrelled with your playmates that was wicked and you must tell the priest all about it if you try to conceal or keep back anything, the priest will know it and punish you. You cannot deceive him if you try, for he knows all you do or say or even think, and if you attempt it, you'll only get yourself into trouble. But if you are resolved to be a good girl, kind, gentle, frank, sincere and obedient, the priest will love you and be kind to you when i was conducted to my room at bedtime i rejoiced to find in it several little cot beds occupied by little girls about my own age who had been like myself consigned to the tender mercies of priests and nuns i thought if we must live in that great gloomy house which even to my childish imagination seemed so much like a prison, we could in some degree dispel our loneliness and mitigate our sorrows by companionship and sympathy. But I was soon made to know that even this small comfort would not be allowed us, for the superior, as she assisted me to bed, told me that I must not speak, or groan, or turn upon my side, or move in any way, for if I made the least noise or disturbance, I would be severely punished. She assured me that if we disobeyed in the least particular, she would know it, even if she was not present, and deal with us accordingly. She said that when the clock struck twelve, the bell would ring for prayers, that we must then rise and kneel with our heads bowed 
upon the bed and repeat the prayer she taught us when at length she left us locking the room after her i was so frightened i did not dare to sleep lest i should move or fail to awake at the proper time slowly passed the hours of that long and weary night while i lay waiting the ring of the bell or thinking upon the past with deep regret the most fearful visions haunted my brain and fears of future punishment filled my mind how could i hope to escape it when they were so very strict and able to read my most secret thoughts what would i not have given could i have been again restored to my father true he was intemperate but at that time i thought not of this i only knew that he was always kind to me that he never refused what i asked of him i sometimes think even now that if he had not so cruelly thrust me from him i might have been able to win him from his cups and evil course of life but this was not to be having given himself up to the demon of intemperance it is not surprising that he should have given away his only child that he should have placed her in the hands of those who proved utterly unworthy of the trust but however indignant i may at times have felt towards him for the one great wrong he committed against me still i do not believe he ever would have done it but for the influence of ardent spirits moreover i do not suppose that he had the least idea what kind of place it was he wished doubtless that his child might be well educated that she might be shielded from the many trials and temptations that cluster around the footsteps of the young and inexperienced in the midst of a cold and heartless world from these evils the nunnery he thought would be a secure retreat for there science religion and philanthropy professedly go hand in hand like many other deluded parents he thought that holiness to the lord was inscribed upon these walls and that nothing which could pervert or defile the youthful mind was permitted to enter there with these views and feelings he was undoubtedly sincere when he told me i would have a good home and the nuns would take better care of me than he could rash his decision certainly was cruel it proved to be but i shall ever give him credit for good intentions at length the bell rang and the girls immediately left their beds and placed themselves upon their knees i followed their example but i had scarcely time to kneel by my bed when the superior came into the room with a light in her hand and attended by a priest he came to me opened a book and told me to cross myself this ceremony he instructed me to perform in the following manner the right hand is placed upon the forehead and drawn down to the breast then across the breast from left to right the superior then told me to say the prayer called 
Hail Mary. I attempted to do so, but failed, for though I had often repeated it after my father, I could not say it correctly alone. She then bade me join my hands and repeat it after her. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord be with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Now, said the superior as I rose from my knees, you must learn every word of that prayer before tomorrow night or go without your supper. I tried my best to remember it, but with so little instruction, for she repeated it to me but once, I found it quite impossible the next night to say it correctly. Of course, I was compelled to go without my supper. This may seem a light punishment to those who have enough to eat, who sit down to a full table and satisfy their appetite three times per day, but to a nun who is allowed only enough to sustain life, it is quite a different thing, and especially to a child, this mode of punishment is more severe and harder to bear than almost any other. I thought I would take good care not to be punished in that way again, but I little knew what was before me. Before the superior left us, she assisted me into bed, and bade me be very still until the second bell in the morning. Then I must rise and dress as quickly as possible and go to her room. Quietness she enjoined upon me as a virtue, while the least noise or disturbance of any kind would be punished as a crime. She said I must walk very softly indeed along the walls, and close the doors so carefully that not a sound could be heard. After giving me these first instructions in convent life, she left me, and I was allowed to sleep the rest of the night. The next morning I awoke at the ringing of the first bell, but I did not dare to stir until the second bell, when the other girls arose in great haste. I then dressed as quickly as possible, but not a word was spoken, not a thought and scarcely a look exchanged. I was truly alone amid a crowd, and I felt the utter loneliness of my situation most keenly. Yet I saw very clearly that there was but one course for me to pursue, and that was to obey in all things, to have no will of my own, and thus, if possible, escape punishment. But it was hard, very hard for me to bring my mind to this. I had been the idolized child of affection, too long to submit readily and patiently to the privations I was now forced to endure. Hitherto my will had been law. I had, naturally, an imperious, violent temper, which I had never been taught to govern. 
Instead of this, my appetites were pampered, my passions indulged, and every desire gratified as far as possible. Until that last sad parting, I hardly knew what it was to have a request refused, and now to experience such a change, such a sudden transition from the most liberal indulgence to the most cruel and rigorous self-denial. Oh, it was a severe trial to my independent spirit to submit to it. Yet submit I must, for I had learned even then that my newly appointed guardians were not to be trifled with. Henceforth, obedience must be my motto. To every command, however cruel and unjust, I must yield a blind, passive, and unquestioning obedience. I dressed as quickly as possible, and hastened down to the superior. As I passed through the hall, I thought I would be very careful to step softly, but in my haste I forgot what she said about closing the door, and it came together with a loud crash. On entering the room I found the superior waiting for me. In her hand she held a stick about a foot long, to the end of which was attached nine leather strings, some twelve or fifteen inches long, and about the size of a man's little finger. She bade me come to her, in a voice so cold and stern, it sent a thrill of terror through my frame, and I trembled with the apprehension of some impending evil. I had no idea that she was about to punish me, for I was not aware that I had done anything to deserve it, but her looks frightened me, and I feared, I know not what. She took hold of my arm, and without saying a word, gave me ten or twelve strokes over the head and shoulders with this miniature cat and nine tails. Truly with her it was a word and a blow, and the blow came first. Wherever the strings chanced to fall upon the bare flesh, they raised the skin as though a hot iron had been applied to it. In some places they took off the skin entirely, and left the flesh raw, and quivering with the stinging pain. I could not think at first what I had done to deserve this severe punishment, nor did she condescend to enlighten me. But when I began to cry, and beg to go to my father, she sternly bade me stop crying at once, for I could not go to my father. I must stay here, she said, and learn to remember all her commands and obey them. She then taught me the following verse. I am a little nun, the sisters I will mind. When I am pretty and learn, then they will use me kind. I must not be so noisy when I go about the house. I'll close the doors so softly they'll think I am a mouse. This verse I repeated until I could say it correctly. I was then taken to the breakfast room, 
where I was directed to kneel before the crucifix and say my prayers, which I repeated after the superior. I was then seated at the table and directed to hold my head down and fix my eyes upon my plate. I must not look at any one or gaze about the room, but sit still and quietly eat what was given me. I had upon my plate one thin slice of wheat bread, a bit of potato, and a very small cup of milk. This was my stated allowance, and I could have no more, however hungry I might be. The same quantity was given me every meal, when in usual health, until I was ten years of age. On fast days no food whatever was allowed, and we always fasted for three meals before receiving the sacrament. This ceremony was observed every third day, therefore we were obliged to fast about one-third of the time. Yet, however long the fast might be, my allowance of food was never increased. After breakfast, the superior took me to Priest Dow for confession. He kept me with him all day, allowing me neither food nor drink, nor did he permit me to break my fast until four o'clock the next day. I then received what they call the sacrament for the first time. To prepare for this, I was clad in a white dress and cape, and a white cap on my head. I was then led to the chapel, and passing up the aisle, knelt before the altar. Priest Dow then came and stood before me, and taking from a wine-glass a small thin wafer, he placed it upon my tongue, at the same time repeating some Latin words, which the superior afterwards told me mean in English, the body and blood of Christ. I was taught to believe that I held in my mouth the real body and blood of Christ. I was also told that if I swallowed the wafer before it had melted on my tongue, it would choke me to death, and if I indulged an evil thought while I held it in my mouth, I should fall into a pool of blood. End of chapter 2